A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. It's after three o'clock. How are you? Welcome back to the Jason Greger Show, or welcome to, maybe you're just joining us first time today. We appreciate it. Anytime you come into the show, we love it. It's always presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Alberta's only regulated online gambling website where 100% of the revenue stays right here in the province of PlayAlberta.ca. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Connor Halley. Sean Brown now uh, joins us in the E-Well studio uh, live in uh, West Edmonton Mall on the uh, second floor here in the uh, Stingray studios of Sports 1440. And uh, E-Well, your local electrical Distributor, uh, always uh, adding a little uh, spark to the show. E-W-E-L dot C-A. Brownie, how you doing? Awesome. Yeah, what beautiful day out there. Getting back from Okotoks. Son's birthday today. Great weekend. Action packed. Lots going on. Days, you're just turning back the clock here. You got the (laughs) t-shirt on with the flannel shirt unbuttoned uh, outside. I was like, wow, we're in the 90s again. This is unreal. It's unbuttoned because... I got some weight to lose. It's, uh, it's a, little, a, little, a little snug. Well, well, yeah, well, yeah, but dude, you're keeping it like the sleeves. Like, what did you buy that when you were 17? Oh, I've had this for a Oh, yeah. yeah I, I don't get rid of say, my clothes. Yeah, you I, know, I know. You don't get rid of anything. No. You just say, hey, it all comes you and Stretty. Don't worry. Just put it in the closet. It'll yeah. come back. Yeah. It'll circle around. Yeah, I just uh, got to... I gotta, I gotta lose about ten pounds. What are you talking about, dude? Easily, yeah. No, everything is so much tighter. Honestly, my wife and I were talking about it on the way home today, really? and we're like, we. Gotta- well, what are you, what are you tipping the Toledo's at right now? I'm about two thirty. Yeah, but so, but you walk around normally like two twenty five. No, two twenty. No, two ten. Two. So you're twenty pounds overweight. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Jeez, I, yeah. I I came into camp usually Basically. around two fifteen, and then I get down to by the season started two ten. Okay. Yeah. So, but like in the last five years, you've been walking around at two ten. No, gee, I, oh. no, no. I've been yeah. up around two twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. So, all right. Yeah, but when you, I'll get down. Yeah. Okay, but when you're twenty three and four, like you're not really carrying that weight the rest of your life. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Like I know, geez, I was two, I was two fifteen in camp when I was twenty four. I should be two fifteen forever. Well, it's great, but. It's uh, although they do say muscle weighs more than fat, but you don't really look like you're carrying it. You must you must hide it well. Like, I feel I feel okay, but yeah. I mean I just I wouldn't mind. It's all my own doing, ah, like okay. all of us. I mean, yeah, yeah. Enjoyed the was ho- it just Christmas weight? You just pounded it. Back it's every it holiday. It's every holiday. Is that four or five pounds every oh, holiday? Dad, I'm just me. counting down the days, man. It was uh, it was no sugar January for this kid, and whew, hasn't uh, I don't love it. I, I don't. How do you get over? It? I've been trying. To, I've been saying yeah. that for a month. It's uh, well, but both of us, my wife and I, but otherwise you can't do it. It's impossible. Yeah. So, um, and my wife reads up on lots of stuff. So, um, 
you know, on what you can eat and everything. So it's okay. Like it's better now. But like we went out the other day and we, there was dessert and like I love dessert. When yeah. I go for dinner, I love it. I'm just yeah. like, oh no thanks. Like yeah. God, I feel like a loser. Like I love dessert. It's just like thing. But right? do you not when you when you deprive yourself of it the one time? Do you not just make up for it the next day or the day after where you eat? No, because I haven't, had, I haven't had any now. I've, I've had none for the month. That's my point. Okay, but if like you, when I come February first, yeah. no, I don't just go back on the train, and it's not like yeah. like after Christmas, I was just you know like yeah. I had donuts in here a few too many times, <laughs> you know, like I just needed to needed to step off a little bit, so yeah, it's good. Um, and I've I've only lost one pound, but I've lost about three inches, so that's yeah. the difference. It's so, the inches, not the pounds, for me. That's what drives me crazy. Is I I am active. I do enjoy working out, and you know, my wife and I are pretty active. But it, what does it matter if you're just throwing back sugar and ice cream and you know, it kind of defeats the whole purpose. But I mean, I've been saying for the last two months, let's go one day without sugar. I can't get through one day. So good on you for having that. Uh, I, I, I've done it for a week, but then the next week I'll eat two weeks worth yeah. of sugar. Gregor, how do you do it without bread? Uh, carbonat bread, actually. I don't really eat a lot of bread anyway, but uh, you can get the carbonat bread. Oh, trust me. It's not very good. But if I really need some peanut butter and I use all the natural peanut butter, you can get the carbonat bread for anybody wondering how you do it without bread. Because it's difficult. For yeah. sure. Now, I'm allowed apples, right? Like anything that's like natural because <laughs> yeah. there's sugar in there. So yeah. people wonder, what are you? Nothing. No, no, no. I'm just talking like the process stuff. We try to uh, eliminate it. Yeah. So. It's uh, it's fine. Uh, you know, I, I've done it. We do it every year. So I just, yeah. and just to kind of get you back on track and be like, all right. And then so you wait, slow you, down. For one month you do it? That's yeah. It? yeah. Now, sometimes it's extended yeah. a little bit longer. And then sometimes we'll do two weeks again. Yeah. Um, right before spring. So it's just one of those things. Like to me, the difference is my wife's like all in. I can say, you know what? I can have dessert once a week and be fine. She can't do that. Yeah. Which is funny. Like she's got a lot yeah. of this one and everything else, but not for sweets. She can't have any in the house. Like I can buy a bag of Oreos and it'll last me. <laughs> no, I'll have two or three and then I'll wait a few days. Yeah, no. no, her, it's like, if we have a, ba yeah. if we have a box of Oreos, it's like, she can't walk past it. Like I literally will have yeah. to hide it. Yeah. And I'm like, what is your problem? You're super disciplined about everything else. Yeah. Just say no, just walk yeah. by and yeah. tell yourself I'm not having the Oreos. Yeah. Like it's not hard. I think we're cut from the same class. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. If okay. I put something away, yeah. I'm thinking about it the whole day until I eat it all. Oh, so that's what you are? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, so yeah I eat it all. That's not me. Yeah, no, I don't no. sit down and have a bowl of ice cream. No. I sit down with the, the pail of ice cream. <laughs> and I don't even enjoy it. By the by the end of it, I, I don't even like it. I'm just oh. eating it just oh, to eat God, it. It's terrible. awful. Uh, there's lots to discuss. I want to get your thoughts, of course. Uh, you coach in the league, the, the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Uh, there's the five teams. Uh, Spruce Grove and Sherwood Park, uh, Black Falls, Brooks, and Okotoks that are, are going to be uh, leaving to the uh, BCHL uh, next season, uh, which leaves 11 teams in the AJHL. Now, it wasn't that long ago. The 90s aren't that long ago when there was only eight teams in the league. So, you know, some people are like, oh, the league's going to fold. I'm like, why? Why would the league fold? Like, th there might be a little bit more trial, like Fort McMurray, right? There's a few teams that are like, Obviously, now nothing was close per se, but there's two of the closer teams for them that are out. Yeah. So, you know, same with Grand Prairie and Drayton Valley. I understand that, but you know, the league functioned for a long time with only eight teams. Yeah, right? I, I think you can function with eleven if you want to. I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Yeah, I, I don't see the league um, shutting the doors or anything. I mean, it's unfortunate, obviously, that. Uh, the league is in the situation. I, I think it's a great league. My son plays in the league. I I don't think by just five teams deciding that they're going to join the BCHL means that those kids are all committed to going to the BCHL. 
Um, you know, this is, uh, it's a lot, I, obviously, however it got out there, I think it got leaked out a little too soon. I think there's a, quite a few scenarios that have to kind of work itself out. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a strong support for the BC, or for the Alberta Junior Hockey League. It is a very good league, and it's a little disappointing the way it was all laid out. Um, but I still think that, you know, when the dust settles, I think it's a good enough league, and I think there's enough great Alberta players, and there's a, enough support through for the league that if those teams decide to go, there's other, there's other people that will step in and support to keep the league going. Yeah, and I, I, the one thing, though, like I heard people say, oh, don't worry, they'll just replace them with five other teams. I'm like, what? That would be the worst decision. No. There's not enough players, to, not enough quality players to do that. And knowing the, you know, knowing a little bit of Ryan Bartoshik and the group, I mean, it, does the league have uh, some areas that it needs to get stronger? For sure. I mean, so does the BC League. It's not a perfect league either. So they're committed to making change and to making the product and the overall league strong, you know, to continue to be strong and make those necessary changes. And they're about to roll some of those scenarios out before this kind of, you know, was brought up. But, um, you know, I, I just don't think, to me, the the answer of going to the BC and this outlaw league um, is the answer. Or, or like I said, I mean, I, I'm sure there's got to be parents on, on those five teams where those parents didn't sign up for their kid to play in that league, right? And now that, I mean, it also makes it a lot more challenging for the teams that are going there because now you got access to European players. You got access to... Well, they still, uh, yeah, they still have... Uh... I think what is it? They're allowed two. I think Euro imports. They're allowed a few more American imports, right? Yeah. So, so there'll be there'll be some more competition. Yeah. Um, and that's hey, I understand it for people. Um, like I, I heard a lot of comments oh about the kids, and I, as I like to say, I said hey, here's the harsh reality of sports. When you get to the junior level, it's you got to be good enough. It's not well, you know what? Where I'm born should allow me to play junior A. We can argue if that's valid or not, and um. Most teams, yeah, do you want some local presence there? 100%. Right? If they're good enough to play. In junior A, the last thing you want is just put someone on the team because they're from there. It doesn't help the player. I've seen it in major junior. The guy barely plays. It's not good. Right? It's not good at all. So, um, you know, and then you get into the whole percentages. Like, we're talking junior A hockey here. It's it's near the top of the pyramid. You're talking 18, 19, 20-year-olds, right? There's the odd 17-year-old for sure. And it is... It's difficult. There's no question. Um, but I, I don't think this is, th- this will be a change, but I, I don't think it's, I don't see a major negative impact overall for, uh, for kids either way. If you don't want to play, if you don't want to travel and play in BC lots, then you can ask for your release from one of those teams and they'll grant it. There's, there's like those teams would be foolish if all of a sudden you have a bunch of players, but there'll be some players that say, Hey, I'm going to go to BC. Now we're going to have tougher competition. You're going to play those teams anyway. Like they're going to be in a division with Cranbrook is what I'm, is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Right. So you'll play, you'll play those teams, the majority, and then you'll travel and you'll have road trips to, to BC. And so there'll be more travel as a guy who was in the league. Like a lot of people, Oh, they're only doing this for money. And I'm like, well, I'm not sold how many AJHL teams are making a lot of money, Brownie. 
at the end of the day. You're like, you are a GM of a team, right? Like, let's be real here. It's not a, this, this big money making profitable league. I was an owner of a team. Yeah. We were part crusaders. There was 10 of us at one point and every year I had to shill out. We all had to shill out money, some more than others, but yeah, you're yeah. not in it to make money. <laughs> I didn't get Thank it. you. Yeah. Thank I, you. I mean, we got into it because my wife and I just moved into the community yeah. and it was a nice way to get back and, and meet some new people. But yeah, you're not in this uh, business in the AJ to make any money, but, um, yeah, it's uh, they're in a tough spot. These kids, unfortunately, are kind of they're caught in the middle of it. I think it was something that was supposed to kind of come out later. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the AJ is still going to be strong enough. I think if we can do a better job, maybe of protecting some of the Alberta kids and making it, you know, a league where you know these kids are protected and have a place to play because. It's hard for our kids to go down to the USHL. It's hard for our kids to play elsewhere, right? So the focus has to be on Alberta kids. If you look at Brooks and some of these teams, a lot of them aren't even, there's not a whole lot of Alberta kids even on them. Yeah. And so that's why, you know what, there'll be a place for for everyone. It's to me, you know, would you, in an ideal world, would you have liked there to be some way to to keep it the same? I could see that. I, I also, you know, I guess my only thing is I'm not a big, like hockey Canada just doesn't get carte blanche and be like, well, whatever we want, we're going to continue to do whatever we want because they don't really have a great track record. Let's be honest here. Last 10, like, look at what they've done. It's not. What have they done? Well, if you look at, well, first of all, they've covered up some things. Look at all the money they put in the world juniors and stuff they've covered up over years. That's not a lie. That's a fact. Right, that's a pretty significant thing. You're going to take money from kids in registration to pay hush money for a few bad seats. Mm-hmm. That in itself is horrendous. I don't need anything else after that. And you've got the same people at the top. Like I think Hockey Canada has been very glacier slow in moving to evolve and adapt. Finally getting to half ice was good. One of the best decisions they made at a young age, especially when USA hockey, which by the way is growing leaps and bounds, right? Like you look at like Columbus, we had Yarmo Kekalainen on. When the Columbus Blue Jackets started in Columbus, Brownie, mm-hmm. there was 700 kids playing minor hockey. Now they're close to 10,000. And then you started to see kids in the NHL from that era that never would have come there before, right? Mm-hmm. So the competition is just simply harder now for Canadians because there's more kids playing in the U.S. more than anywhere else. Right. And so I look at a just the cover ups by Hockey Canada. I'm sorry. It bothers me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 there's no defending it. And it's such an egregious decision. And they, they really and even then they try. Well, we haven't done anything wrong. They still try to pretend like, no, 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 we can just push our way through everything. And so that's my biggest number one beef. Like simple things like why in Alberta don't they have a one a one age tier like they do in Ontario and a lot of places east of Winnipeg. Why? And don't please, I'm from rural Alberta, okay? I get, and you know what? There's rural places in Manitoba. There's rural communities in Ontario and Quebec. And you know what? They figure it out because I've talked to them. And some, yes, in a certain rural place, if you don't have enough kids, they make it work. And yes, you're allowed exceptions. But the, the vast majority is one year and it's proven to be better, but they don't do it. So that's I'm not the biggest fan of hockey. I don't think Hockey Canada. We should just be like, well, Hockey Canada's done everything well, th- great. Then who is then? Who is it? Who's the next? Who's going to be the governing body then? 
Well, I, I think if you have a governing body that's willing, like look at Soccer Canada right now. It's a gong show, right? I, I just don't think our governing bodies have done well enough to want to adapt. I'm not saying you just listen to, you know, a few people, but you, yeah. you, it's too many of the old school ways still involved. And I don't think they've adapted at all. That's just my own, mm-hmm. my own thoughts on it. I, I just, I don't see hockey being in a great spot, period, because like you said, there's some resentment towards Hockey Canada. You got, there's too many leagues. There's just not enough good hockey players. And there, ulti- that's the ulti- ultimately, it's just costing a lot of people a lot of money to play this game. Well, I, well, the problem with that is it's, it's really hard. And, and well, there's two things. A lot of communities, people could go to them and say, let's, we don't need every facility that has to be great. So mom and dad can sit in ultra duper comfort to watch the damn game. Then don't complain about the cost, right? We should be building shells that are just for practice, right? Remember the, the old shell insured park? Well, it's still there, but they've refaced it. But remember, there's lots of old shells, Alexandra Arena and Leduc and lots of other places. You just need rings. Not every place has to be a multi-massive facility with gym and everything else. Not every place has to. If you needed more ice services, it would help in communities. But they don't want to do that because we're like, well, we're a little soft. Let's be honest. This is side- well, I need every best bell and whistle. No, we don't. Just put a roof over top. We want skate. If you want kids to be better, they need more ice time. That's just a simple fact. And then the cost, Brownie, isn't going up extramentally because you're not taking out massive loans to have to pay for these. Yeah, but I mean, everyone also feels like they have to play with a whole bunch of McDavid's to be successful. Right? I mean, Well, we we can have that. I totally agree with you on that one. I think the the one critique I've always had is if you take the four best kids from St. Albert and the four best kids from Sherwood Park and the four best kids from Stony Plain, and now you put them on one team, guess what? That one team doesn't now magically score 15 goals a game. No, they probably still only score six goals a game. So guess what? Now at a young age, you've eliminated probably six or eight kids who would be good goal scorers. And now they're not learning how to score. Because trust me, scoring is a skill. And it takes a lot of confidence to be someone whose job, even at a young age, is like, I got to score. Right? And it's a skill to learn how to score, to react in situations. And so to me, I, I think there's a little concern about that. Yeah. No question. I look at over having been in, in the coaching system for it. And I'm lucky because I got guys like you and I got a, I got a, a massive um, Rolodex of people that I can call for drills and ideas on what's the best new. But a lot of coaches don't have that. And I've argued for years at associations that, well, we have a coaching mentor. Oh, yeah? What's a coaching mentor do? Because here's the problem. Hockey's a late developing sport. It's still proven. And people are tripping over themselves. And I, and I said, if you want to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for your 9- and 8- and 10-year-old kid, knock your socks off. You have no idea if they're going to have the will and the desire and the speed and the strength when they're 16, when it really matters. When it really matters if they're going to be a player or not. Yeah. Right? And so, but what we do is we, we have tier ones have really good coaches, but you get to tier three and tier four and five, and then it's a bunch of dads who are just, and nothing wrong with them, they're volunteering, but they don't have the time or they don't have the interest or the knowledge on how to get good practice plans. So you might have a really good athlete because at the end of the day, the best athletes are usually the best players at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you can't buy athleticism, sorry to tell you people, you can't. But we lose a lot of kids because they don't get the same coaching. And if, if it was me running an association, that'd be my number one thing. If you have consistency in coaches at all tiers, then at least the kids are exposed to it. They have a better chance to take their athleticism and maximize it. That's something that we're trying to do in Strathcona. And it also takes a coach. I, I find the egos in the game. And, and I find our coaching um, group in Strathcona Minor Hockey are very open to ideas and suggestions. That's, that's big. But you know what? It's just, I mean... 
like I said, the, the game's in a funny spot. I'm kind of glad that my kid's on the other side of it. But just the need for kids to play around, you know, the elite of the elite and be around them all the time just is amazing to me. Like, yeah. everyone is going like, to... I think that's parents' egos more than Yeah, like, kids. I just, like, Connor McDavid didn't play with a bunch of Connor McDavids to get to where he got to. Very good Like, point. everyone is going to be fine. Yeah, it's a very good point. <laughs> Quick break. We'll return on Sports 1440, Orders Nation YouTube. 3.30 on Sports 1440. Jason Greger, Sean Brown with you. A very special guest is going to join us now. A hockey Hall of Famer. Also, he holds a record that honestly, man, I don't know if it's ever going to be broken. Ten points in a single game. The record has stood since 1976. The great one, Wayne Gretzky, could only get to eight. David, I think at the most he has a six. It is hard, man. Really hard. Uh, Daryl Sittler joins us now. Daryl, welcome to the show. How you doing? It's all good, thanks. How are you guys doing up there? I am great, Daryl. Uh, yeah, I'm great. It's well, warmed up actually quite a bit, finally. Like minus 10 now, it feels like t-shirt weather. So, uh, so you know how awesome. that is. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Uh, Daryl, I've talked to you before, but I never actually spoke to you about the 10-point game, and I'm sure you've talked about it lots, but I, I'm very curious more so about when you were in the moment as a guy, and you're a pretty good offensive player, but 10 points is just a different level, man. Like, At what point in the game were you like, oh, my God, Like, am I in peewee hockey again here? This is amazing. So uh, what happened back in the 70s, anytime – you're playing our original six team on a Saturday night, coast to coast hockey night in Canada. We're playing the Bruins, so it's a big game for the fans. You know, you get the the buzz in the building, and and uh, what had happened at the end of the second period, I had seven points. I had no idea what the record was, but our statistician Stan Obodiak, who was in the press box, he made a point to come down to me into the dressing room. He comes over, he says, Daryl, I don't know if you know, but if you get one more point, you tie Rocket Richard's record of eight, which I think he did it back in the late '40s, early '50s. And uh, then you tie a record. So going into the third period, uh, we knew, uh, my teammates and I knew that day there was an opportunity to, to tie Rocket's record and uh, ended up getting three three more. And uh, why it happened, I'm not sure. I mean, I had 10 shots on goal and, and uh, you know, obviously six of them went in. The last goal I scored, I was um, behind the net. And I was going to try to pass the puck out to Errol Thompson, my left winger coming into the slot area. Brad Park, the Bruin defenseman, just stuck his leg, turned it sideways to to block the pass, and uh, you know Dave Reese was going across, and I went between his legs, and I just threw my hands up in the air and said, "It was a magical night for sure." And uh, uh, here we are. I, I think there's been like twelve thousand games played in the National Hockey League. Great players have uh, have come and gone, and I often thought Wayne would be the guy to do it, or Mario Lemieux back in the. Uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s, they were putting a lot of points up in the board back then, uh, and uh, they weren't able to. So here, here we are, and I'm happy to hold it. It's the 48th anniversary coming up, February 7th, uh, and uh, every year it comes up, people uh, talk about it and remind me of it, and it's it's been a good record to have. Daryl, really excited to have you on and uh, really appreciative of uh, Mr. Peters for making this happen. Um you look at, uh, you had 18 hat-tricks, uh, the most in the Toronto Maple Leafs history, and now you got Austin Matthews with 11 hat-tricks. And I, I always find it amazing in today's game with, you know, the guys being able to put up the points and score the way they do and how well it's coached. There's no secrets. There's, you know, video on everyone and their strengths, their weaknesses. What are your thoughts on, uh, 
you know, the goal scorers today compared to the goal scorers back when you played? Well, the game is is a little different, Sean, as you know. I mean, uh, um, in front of the net area uh, back in my day, um, the, the defensemen were, were vicious. They'd cross-check you, high-stick you. You didn't really want to go to that area. You had to pay a price for it, so to speak. Um the um, uh, you know, there's so much great talent in the game today. I look on our team when you're talking about Austin Matthews. I mean, he he has a fantastic shot. He puts himself in a good position, but he's surrounded by pretty good players too. Uh, Mitch Marner, uh, very uh, he's a magician with the puck, and and he he seems to have eyes and know where the the right play is to be made at the right time. And uh, so those things all help. But at the same time. Uh, uh, you have to have the skill to do it, and Austin Austin has that. Uh, I look at uh, your team, Connor McDavid. Uh, you know he's he's a threat to score on every shift when he's out there. He can he can take a a puck when he's going at full speed through the uh, through the neutral zone, so to speak, and and make a dangerous play out of it and have a, a chance to score. So at some uh, at some point, who knows? I mean, uh, records are made to be broken, so to speak, and you never know. There's a magical night that might happen. I think Sam Gagne. Um, uh, had eight points in, in Edmonton yep. uh, a number of years ago, and and I don't think he would have ever thought that he was going to get eight points, but it happens and it can happen. And and uh, I watched some nights uh, a guy like Connor, the, the amount of scoring chances that he gets, and if, you know if everything's working right for him, then uh, he, he might tie or break it. But it, it, it's a tough one for sure. The goalies are bigger now than they were in my day too, uh, so it might be a little bit more uh, less uh, room in the net to, to put the puck. Uh, past the guy, but uh, you know it's a it's a nice record to hold for sure. Oh yeah, I would think it's one of the greatest <laughs> records of all time. Yeah, like you gotta love it. Uh, no question about it. Uh, as a guy, you know, as a as a hundred point guy, ninety point guy, I think five other years as well, multiple eighty points. Like you were a really good offensive player, Daryl, and you just kind of watched the game went through a little bit era there in the early two thousands, late nineties. It was kind of boring. It wasn't overly offensive, and now they're getting back to you know allowing the skill to play. It's much more of a puck possession game. How do you? How much do you enjoy? the game better today uh, as a fan of hockey uh, what excites you when you sit down on a Saturday or a Wednesday or Tuesday whatever night it is and watch a game well um, you know I'm an honest up front guy and uh, each era has its own style of play the guys before me were different uh, and then it was our era and then the world hockey came along and I think it, the league was maybe watered down a little bit because of the, the talent pool but now there's so many great high skill players in the game I think one of the, the things that happened, uh, well, not think what's happened, that did happen in the 70s when Philadelphia Flyers won the Cup uh, in the early 70s. They were the Broad Street Bullies, and part of the game was intimidation. And the element of fear and courage for any player that was out on the ice um, was a major factor in a game. I don't know that you have that as much now. There's there's not as much uh, to try to explain the, the game within the game, so to speak. So when Sean was lined up against somebody back in his day, the fans knew that there were two tough guys lined up and something might happen out there. The game's changed from that somewhat. There's still a little bit of that. And I think the fans feel that when it's in the building and when it's happening. But at the same time, the skill level of the players, the conditioning, you know, the hard short shifts. You don't see those goals where a player has enough time to come down the wing and take a slap shot from the top of the circle. Basically, that doesn't happen unless it's a, you know, a three-on-one or something like that. But, uh, you know, the Guy Lafers, uh, Mike Bossies of the day, Lanny McDonald's, that's Bobby Hulls. That's where they'd score uh, some of their goals from or a lot of their goals from uh, 
those those angles, so to speak. But uh, it's changed. It's better. I mean, hey, we've got the best players from all around the world, and there's so many more Americans coming into the game and uh, and more Europeans, and uh, it's, it's it's a great game, and it's fast, and it's it's fun to watch. Daryl, I might have a couple questions with this, but being a Leaf fan, I did watch, obviously, when Boye Salming was brought back with his family, and that was obviously very touching, and and you can see the emotion um, on your face and how excited and how you felt about him. Um, maybe if you could talk a little bit about your involvement with uh, ALS. And the other question was, you know, Boye Salming coming into the National Hockey League as a European player, you must have seen the challenges and the adversity that, that he faced. And if you could maybe touch on that as well. Well, I'll start off with that, uh, Sean. Um, I don't know if you, there's a, the Boreas series. Um, it's a six part series. I think it's showing up in Canada. I'm in Florida actually now, but as I speak, it's showing and, and it's, uh, there, there's a lot of things I found out about Boria watching that, that series, uh, um, how tough, uh, he had to be in Sweden to play. He was a Laplander and, and uh, they were prejudiced against uh, Laplanders, and when he when he played in the league over there, so there was a lot of tough hockey before he got here. But when Boria did come in the in the early seventies, I guess seventy three, seventy four, whatever it was, he was the first Swedish player. You know how our game was played back then, a little bit like I said before, the Philadelphia Flyers and other teams thought that they could. No, spear him, cross-check him, punch him in the face, uh, intimidate him to take him off his game. But Boria just continued to show that that wasn't going to affect him, and he became one of the greatest defensemen in the game. And I believe, and no disrespect for any of the other guys that had won the Norris Trophy, whether it's you know Larry Robinson or Potvin or, or whoever it was in that era, um, Boria, in my mind, was as good as those guys. We didn't win the Cup, so sometimes you don't get the same recognition of the votes but if you you ask players who played with Boria or played against him uh they put him right up there with the best so he had to learn that and 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 he was tough so fast forwarded all these years when I got the call um a year ago last July from Boria and his wife Pia that he was diagnosed with ALS that was a very difficult call to take uh uh for me for him and and uh, I knew, and we all knew what ALS means and is meant to somebody when they're diagnosed. And so we tried to help him along the way. Uh, a, a former player of mine, Mark Curtin, um, um, we played together in the 70s. He was diagnosed with ALS about five or six years ago. And uh, as a as a friend of mine living in Toronto, um, I knew what Mark was doing with ALS awareness and, and helping other people. So I introduced him, Boria and his wife, to, to Mark, and uh, he was unbelievable in helping him guide him through kind of the challenges uh, what was ahead of him. Uh, Boria's ALS, um, it's, it's called Balwar. It's, it's in your chest area, in your throat area. It was very aggressive, and uh, Mark started off in his legs and his limbs and then moved up. He now has no mobility in his arms at all, but uh, Mark's been a... An advocate uh, to create awareness to hopefully find a cure for ALS, and he started uh, a fund called the Super Fund. It's, it was just announced and released, and if your listeners are listening, they might want to Google it. Um, all in, all the Canadian NHL teams have gotten on board yeah. just recently with an announcement, and they're going to make a, a significant donation uh, to help find a cure for ALS and to help people who have ALS and help the doctors and research and all those other things, but. 
I was fortunate in my life uh, way back um, to meet Terry Fox, and I got to know Terry Fox, and most Canadians obviously know who, who he is and what he has done for cancer awareness and the funds that were raised. Well, in, in, in knowing Terry Fox like I knew him and now knowing Mark Curtin over the last number of years, um, uh, these two guys have been dealt a hand of adversity, real tough stuff to, to deal with. But instead of going and, and, and sticking their head in the sand or, or, or kind of shying away from it, they took it upon themselves to be inspirations to other people and, and, and help other people and be, be advocates of the, the disease that, 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 uh, that they have. And uh, Mark Curtin, in my mind, uh, he's a phenomenal person and uh, he's an inspiration. And we at our alumni in Toronto gave him a Man of Year Award uh, last year for for what he's done but he's making a difference in so many other people's lives he has a he has a a, a zoom call every week uh, for about an hour and a half of als families and, and patients across canada i've been on that call the people come on and and uh they get a lot of knowledge they get a lot of um hope and uh and and, and um you know a lot of um of uh, respect, I guess, to see a guy like Mark Curtin and uh, how he's dealt with it, that it encourages them that they can, you know, every day they get up, they got, they got a choice in how they're going to live that day. And if you can live it in a positive way and be like a Mark Curtin, uh, uh, that's that's important to do. So he's lifted up a lot of spirits. He's a good friend of mine, and I'm glad you asked the question. Uh, the All-Star Game's coming up next week in Toronto. Um Mario Salmon's, Salming's daughter, Teresa, and uh, the LS uh, group of uh, uh, of people in Sweden are coming over here. The NHL is going to rec- recognize them. Uh, Lidstrom, I think he's the chairman of, uh, yeah. of the uh, ELS Foundation. So there's a lot of good things. Uh, unfortunately, Borea lost his, his life to the disease, but uh, but other people are going to benefit from it. And to me, that's the key. When you, you, when you said, Sean, about watching the ceremony for Borea, to get over here and how sick he was, I would have never believed it. Um, and I give our organization, Brendan Shanahan and, and everybody else, uh, their due uh, respect and remarks that they made it happen. They had everything in place, and uh, we didn't know until two days before whether he and his family were going to make it. But the fact that he got to Toronto, he was out there, it was Hall of Fame weekend, three Swedes going into the, the hall, um, I think it was a surprise for for many fans to see how Boria digressed. But at the same time, I know Boria was so proud and happy that he could come back and pay his respects. And uh, and, and I know the Leaf fans and hockey fans uh, across the, the nation were so happy that they could show their respect and admiration to him, not only on the Hall of Fame night, but the next night. We just happened to have two games in Toronto where they had his family out there. So a lot of good things happened from that. Uh, we put, after Borea passed, we put uh, the Borea patch on our jerseys, wore those for four games, auctioned off the jerseys, auctioned off the patches. There's been about seven, $800,000 raised for ALS because of that moment of Borea getting here and, and uh, what he means so much to to not only the uh, the Leafs, but to the hockey world. And as you know, uh, just so if you're down in Calgary, Chris Snow was diagnosed with ALS, and he just recently passed away. And uh, there's a coach in Ottawa, assistant coach that has it. So it's in the it's in the hockey world, and I'm I'm so grateful and 
and thankful that the National Hockey League recognizes it and, and grabbed a hold of it and trying to make a difference to help guys like Boria, Mark Curtin, and and current people with ALS. Daryl Sittler's with us. Daryl, one last one for you. Um, you know, since you retired, you know, some guys just, you know, they have a great career and they, they kind of go off. You've always really put your name behind lots of, you know, different charitable events and, and fun events as well. Um, wh- why was that something that was always important to you? Well, um, I grew up in a small town, a little village. My dad was a crane operator, paycheck to paycheck, and uh, my mom was a hard worker raising eight kids. And uh, we learned, uh, my brothers and sisters and I, the importance of being a part of a community. When there's opportunities in front of you, you have a choice whether you're going to get involved and try to help out and make a difference. I remember back, it might have been paper drives, might have been Boy Scouts selling apples or shoveling snow for a senior's home. So that all kind of stuck with me. And then when I got to the National Hockey League and uh, was playing with the Leafs, um, there were opportunities that were presented to me. And and again, I had the choice to get involved or sit on the sidelines. And I learned quite early in my life, if you sit on the sidelines with things, probably nothing's going to happen. But you get involved, you don't know what the difference is going to make, but there's an opportunity to, to maybe make a difference. So that's who I've always been. That's what I try to do even today. And uh, I've always believed in paying it forward. You don't do it for the reasons that something's going to come back to you. But I find that uh, when I live my life like that, there's – there's nice things that happen, and uh, you know I, I, I'm doing these um, these these uh, uh, cameo calls. Uh, you know, yeah. cameo is a thing out there, and and some people say, "Oh, you're doing it for the money." Yeah, I get paid a little bit for doing it, but I've learned from doing it, you can make a difference in some person's life that sat and watched you on hockey night in Canada. You're their favorite player, and their father might be dying of cancer. Their grandmother's got their 90th birthday, and it means so much for them that you take the time to. You know, put a smile on their face or, or bring a, a moment to them that uh, they could never have before. So those things uh, are important. I, I try to instill that in the current guys. Hey, you can have all the money in the world. You know, Sean, as, as we know, the guys are making so, so much. But it's those other things you do outside of the game that, uh, you know, they stick with you for the rest of your life. And to me, that's an important part of who I am. Daryl, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the upcoming festivities for the All-Star Weekend. It'll be huge and, uh, you know, even more awareness for, for ALS. So enjoy that. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me. And, oh, boy, those Oilers are on a roll, aren't they? 14 in a row. <laughs> Not awesome. bad. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, how, how things can change so quickly. Everybody <laughs> was jumping off the bandwagon there earlier in the year, but it's good to see them doing well. They deserve it. They're another great Canadian team. Fun to watch. Awesome. Thanks, Daryl. Appreciate your time. Take care. Thank you. Daryl Sittler, honestly, like 10 points in a game, I I would put it because it's it's a – I know that in theory it's maybe easier because it's one hot night. But you got to be really hot, man. Like like Sam Gagne scored on four consecutive shifts. Or maybe it was four in the third period alone, and he was kind of like looking up. And even then they're kind of like, well, geez. He was still only, you know, eight out of ten. Still yeah. needed two more points. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think that's going to be a record that's, you know, unless all of a sudden the NHL, because even in the 80s, they didn't break it. So, and Gretzky, his teammates always talked about, if he had five points, he wanted six. So it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't trying to ever get it. You're special if you have that. And just even hearing him talk and what he's doing and what he's giving back. I mean, what a special guy. Oh, yeah. Really good guy, man. That was great. I think we asked three questions. He talked all the time. It was <laughs> unbelievable. I love it. Uh, quick break. We'll come back. Jason Gregor, Sean Brown with you on Sports 1440 and Orders Nation YouTube and Facebook. 355. Oh.
Welcome back, Jason Greger, Sean Brown. Big shout out to uh, Brownie hooking up uh, Daryl Sittler on the uh, program today. Uh, Oilers taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets, and uh, uh, this Sunday we will lay our our, uh, our former colleague uh, Robin Brownlee uh, to rest. And uh, we're getting closer to our uh, to getting our goal at the uh, GoFundMe page for uh, for Robin Brownlee. It's still up at Sports1440.ca. The uh, the feedback from our listeners and and just people around town. I'm not sure they're all listeners. Just people that have uh, made donations, which is great. And um, so we have a pair of uh, lower bowl seats where the orders attack twice, row 17, sweet seats, to uh, for the game tonight where uh, whatever you bid, uh, you will make your donation to the GoFundMe. So uh, it'll be a donation to the uh, to the GoFundMe for uh, the Brownlee family. So if you want to go to the game tonight, see lucky number 14. Is that a lucky number? Well, maybe it is for the orders. So uh, you can go enjoy it. It'll be good atmosphere. Fans are a little uh, jacked up as they should be. Like, Mike, if you go to the ring tonight... And you're not excited? Why are you going? Like, come on. They've won 13 in a row. They're dominant right now. And uh, we'll see if it continues against the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that's actually won their last three games against the Orders, uh, oddly enough. So 833-401-1440 if you want to go to the game. And uh, you'll be helping out the uh, Brownlee family as well. We'd really like to get to our goal here. We're about uh, 3,000 shy of it. So we've uh, we've gotten close, which is awesome. So uh, down the stretch drive, you can go to sports1440.ca, $5, 10 bucks, 15 It all adds up. And uh, we really appreciate it. And just put your, your name uh, beside your bid if you uh, want to go to the game tonight. It's where the uh, Oilers attack twice. Because I know people always like, hey, where are the seats? Well, it's where the Oilers attack twice. They're actually uh, uh, just... I would say they're uh, right between the uh, the circle and the uh, the goal lines. Fantastic vantage point to uh, to watch the game. Uh, all the sight lines, every corner you can see, perfect. Now, Brownie, I uh, haven't had you on since uh, the Corey Perry signing. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I I mean I'm excited to uh, you know see what he can do to this organization, to this team. And the the one thing that I like about Corey Perry is that you know I've been to a few of the Oilers games this year, and they're obviously. It's an entertaining game, and to watch, you know, anyone that gets a chance to watch Connor McDavid is just, he's just lights out amazing. But what I like about Corey Perry and what I think he'll bring out is the the grit, right? I think it's going to benefit guys. Can you explain how a guy like that, it becomes contagious? infectious, yeah. contagious? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at him, I mean, he's he's nonstop talking and chirping. He's going to be in every scrum, Um you know he's an agitator. Uh, he, you know, he, that when he gets involved in that type of game, that brings out all the other qualities in his game, the the, the other skill sets, and and because he does that, it draws other guys into it, right? Other guys get upset, bothered by it. Now all of a sudden, now you know a Kane's got to get in there. Now a Nurse has to get in there. Dearnay, uh, you know, Yanmark. Every it, it's going to affect everyone on their team. So not only are we going to go watch a highly skilled oiler hockey team and the best player in the world do magical things but we're now going to get the other side the, it's going to tick off all the boxes someone like me that likes a gritty in your face scrums hard to play against team um you know it's it's going to be fun to watch because he'll drag those types of guys into it he just had you know so maybe you know back in the day when you played certain teams like a columbus and on a, on a tuesday wednesday and it was quiet and you know it was minus 40 out Right, he's going to make that game interesting. There's a, there's a chance that it could go offside and and be quite entertaining. Uh, it is an element that I think matters, and I wanted you to explain it because I've exp- I think people are just like okay, I get it. Because some people, if you've never played an emotional 
high level sport like that. And it not even doesn't even have to be high level, man. You you can play U fifteen if you got you play U eleven. You got some kids on your team that are just more you know grinded out and are into it. Other guys notice it more, right? Like you're not really chirping at U nine or eleven. At least I mean I haven't experienced it for uh, yet uh, for the teams that we. That You'd be I surprised at how much these kids talk now uh, because they watch the NHL, yeah. right? So I'm always I'm like, what are you saying? Like, <laughs> what do you even notice? Yeah. Say like I see a little bit on it, right? Yeah. But nothing, nothing yeah. over the top crazy. Yeah. But it, yeah. you know, it, it always makes me chuckle though. every now and then you'll yeah. see like two kids that kind of run yeah. into it's like a little bump and all yeah. it's, it's yeah. I, I love it it's funny but um you know you, you look at perry and, and he you know they call him the worm he he's he's been very good at but he's also yeah. highly skilled that's the other thing now his skill level is speed i don't expect him to be a top six guy but i could see shifts here or there yeah, i think and the one the way chris knoblock runs his bench is he makes sure everyone gets involved as much as he can. Like, you look at when there's a penalty kill, he's got his three units of two forwards, and then he goes right after with McDavid, Drysaddle, and either Hyman or Kane, and then the next line is always his fourth line. doesn't matter, right? And then he does it after power plays. He tries to get all 12 forwards, because the D are already in anyway, right back in the game. I love the way he gets guys involved, right? I mean, you look at their last game. Who started the game, right? Day or name? Yeah. Right? Like... You talk about adding value and making guys feel a part of this, yes. you know, 13 game winning streak. I mean, and you re- you wonder why they're doing so well, right? And they're having success because everyone feels a part of it. Everyone feels valued. Um, but you know, going back to your original question there, I, you know, the best guy in the league and the best guy for me, um, and my favorite player was Marty McSorley. There was no one better at understanding the game and what it needed. And when he was, you know, obviously I played against him when he was t- towards the end of his career, but he never lost the gamesmanship, right? Okay. He always knew exactly what the game needed, right? And if you're up a game, or sorry, up the momentum was on your side, or you're up a couple goals, it was, hey, stay out of the scrums, and we don't need to, you know, we don't need to get anything unnecessary, un- unnecessarily going against us to give them some life. But on the other side, there was lots of times where, you know, we'd be on the bench and he'd get we get out on the ice, he's like, okay, hey, Brownie, we're getting a scrum, right? Because we knew, or he knew, by him starting a scrum, then I come in there and I push someone, then someone has to come in there and there's a bunch of stinky gloves and we're all just mucking it up, chirping, and all of a sudden now the fans get into it, you get into it, and it just changes the whole momentum. So his, I mean, for me, there was no one better than Marty McSorley of understanding the gamesmanship, and that's where Corey Perry has a little bit of that old school where it's not only McDavid, but it's everyone, Corey Perry, it's Derek, all through the lineup. It's going to drag them into something when sometimes you're just, for whatever reason, maybe not in it or don't want to be in it. He'll force guys into it. For sure. Hey guys, uh, holy hell, that was one of the best interviews you guys have done. Sittler is a registered be- uh, beauty. You need to uh, get him on again from uh, Big Easy. He was great, uh, for sure. There's lots of uh, people texting the same thing. Hey, guys, thanks for the great interview with Daryl Sittler. He's my favorite player growing up. I had a chance to meet him briefly on vacation in Mexico, and he was as genuine as he came across in your interview. I still remember the 10-point night. It was amazing. And now I could never cheer for the Leafs <laughs> for Dave. <laughs> Well, hey, you're allowed to evolve and grow as a fan, right? You're like, well, maybe all of a sudden now I don't uh, root this guy. Like maybe Connor, will Connor Halley ever be a Dave for the Chargers? Would he ever walk away from the Chargers? I'm not sure. I don't think so, but you never know. No, he's shaking his head. He doesn't think he could do it. So even if the Spanos family just keeps, you know, interfering, 
Well, I mean, what are they going to do? Move them somewhere else? That's probably the worst thing they've done. Yeah. No, well, no. I mean, they could do worse. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> they could do a lot worse. Yeah, no, that is very true. That, uh, uh, Dan opens up the uh, bidding at 200 bones. So, uh, attaboy, Dan's a steal of a deal right now. A pair of seats tonight. Lower bowl, row 17, where the orders attack twice against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, all the money is going towards the, uh, the GoFundMe for uh, Robin Brownlee's family. And uh, we'll keep that open uh, uh, right up until Sunday. And so uh, if you'd like to make a donation, we really appreciate it there. But if you want, hey, a little extra, if you want to uh, bid on the tickets currently at uh, 200-833-401-1440. Let's get to the Con Man Sports 1440 update brought to you by Fountain Tire. Of course, it's your place to get all your tires. Maybe been sli- I've seen a few people slip into the curbs. Probably need a new tire. We'll get it done at Fountain Tire. Book your appointment at FountainTire.com.